Welcome to the Gamers Inn. Come on in, pull up a chair next to the fire. It looks like you've had a long journey. I'm your host, Ryan, and joining me this is... <laughs> I'm Ron Burgundy? And joining me this week is my super special guest co-host, Crofton. How's it going, Crofton? Hey, Ryan, thank you for having me on the Gamers Inn. For those of you who do not know me, I am Ryan's co-host on Dungeons and Diapers, another fantastic show. That's true. That's true. Uh, you know, you are my co-host on Dungeons and Diapers. Jocelyn is out this week, but she will be back next week. And I thought, what better way to uh, to do two podcasts in one week on one day than to have my Dungeons and Diapers co-host on, who's also playing Metroid Dread. And let's be honest, um, if we were likely to do a Dungeon and Diapers this week, it would be mostly spent talking about Metroid Dread anyways. And likely when we record that show next week, we'll have both finished Metroid Dread and we'll talk about Metroid Dread some more because it's very rare that we have uh, video games that overlap at the same time. Um, but we are here today on the Gamers Inn to talk about Metroid Dread. I just wish that you hadn't asked me to break into Jocelyn's and sit in her chair. Uh, it feels like that was unnecessary. I could have just done this from my house. I mean, you do know like her internet is just, it's just better, right? So even though when we were doing a pre-show, you cut out like while we were talking, but. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm still getting used to it, obviously. But uh, no, I, I'm excited to talk. It, it is a good point. Uh, we do rarely, even on Dungeons and Diapers, uh, hit the same game uh, at the same time. So it will be uh, it will be fun to talk. And, you know, it's been like forever since there's been a new 2D Metroid. So that's cool, too. Yeah, I think it's been... Well, wait, I have the box right here. Let me see here. I got the box for Super Metroid uh, 3DS. No, Metroid 2 Return to Samus to prove it. Open it up here. Let's see. What's the date on this thing? There's no date. Just, wait, whoa. Does that even count, though? That's a remake. I mean, like a new one. Uh, You know what? When it comes to Metroid, since it's like... Okay, so Fusion. When was Fusion? So, that, so Metroid, Fusion? so just for the record, Samus Returns, the 3DS remake that was done by the same uh, company as Dread. It came out in 2017. Yeah. So again, no, like I know. four that's years... Yeah, but the, I consider that that's that's an average amount of time. That is that is fine. It's just a fusion. I know came out, and I don't know what the date came out. The same day as Metroid Prime, the original Metroid Prime, and that was the last two D uh, Castlevania uh, Metro Metroid game. Um, and uh, and so I feel like you know that's going back to the beginning of the GameCube days. Um, that's a long that's a long haul without a two D Metroid. Yeah, and Metroid Dread is, when it was announced at E3 this year, everyone was kind of expecting that Nintendo would have a quiet year. Um, and, and I know a lot of people would still consider a Metroid game coming out to still be a quiet year. But Metroid, I think, is a franchise that I've uh, learned, not learned to love, but have appreciated um, later than than most of the fans who, who really love Metroid. Like, I came in, I think my first one was um, the GBA ones, was... Uh, was zero no fusion it would have been fusion um was my first one that i really loved and i kind of went you know backwards then forwards with prime and and um and whatnot but like this is billed as the the sequel to metroid fusion this is metroid 5 um but also the conclusion to the metroid saga which is kind of weird because um anything after metroid dread by that logic because i mean the met the metroids are extinct um i think by the end of 
Samus? No, by Fusion, because I think they kill off the baby Metroid at the start of Fusion. Spoiler alert. Can I put can I people put people's minds at ease right now? Yeah, sure. You, you don't need to have played any other Metroid <laughs> ever to play Metroid Dread. No. Like you can just pick it up and play it. And don't worry about all these things. Yes, there's stuff there for the hardcores and then who are like, oh, my lore, you know, like the lore hounds, if you will. But but at this at the same point, Metroid has never been driven by narrative or story. Um, this is possibly the one of the 2D ones, the one that is the most driven by that. But that's even saying a lot. Like it, 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 it most mostly is... You know, the concept of Metroids is you're a space bounty hunter abandoned on some sort of space station and or planet and you have to uh, explore it uh, and you have all your gear taken away from you at the beginning and then you get it over the course of the game that allows you to get to different areas and uh and yeah you fight you fight some bosses along the way you explore you backtrack you forward track you do all of that sort of stuff so i mean for me all that all the elements of a metroid gamer here but you really you know if, if you're like oh i don't this is metroid 5 i i don't i don't know about this i'd say like don't worry about it just play this one okay so on that note we'll come back to the the physical amnesia you know the game's words not mine um i bet you any money i could sum up the 2d series in a like in a couple minutes from my memory and i mean you you correct me if i'm wrong at the end so metroid one you're on a mission to sort out what the pirates are up to on um i don't even think i think the metroids are just there I don't think it's the it's not the Metroid's homeworld, but the Metroid are there. So you you fight Mother Brain, you defeat Mother Brain, you defeat Ridley, you defeat Craig. But I don't know oh Craig was Super Metroid, I think. Anyways, you, you solve all that matter, and then and then the second one, the Game Boy one, and the remake on the 3DS. That one is you going to the Metroid homeworld, destroying all the Metroids. Then Super Metroid, I'm pretty sure is just uh, you have a baby Metroid and Mother Brain and ridley and Craig are all back and they want to take the metroid because they want to use it as a weapon the metroid's now a weapon and then at the end of that one all the metroids are dead but there was like a natural enemy to the metroid which was the parasite x and this is fusion you die the x infects you you're injected with a metroid vaccine and you now become part metroid dna and then you are now able to fight the x and i'm pretty sure fusion is about you eradicating the parasite x and there's this like weird not dark samus from prime but like sort of similar like a like shell samus uh, like a x parasite has infected samus's old armor and kind of looks like the super metroid armor and i i think you take care of the parasite x and then basically metroid jed starts with like a you know like a a a news article that shows like a, a parasite x that's alive and that like lures you to this planet and when you get to that planet, you're you're basically like hit over the head by this uh, Chozo warrior looking dude, and and that causes you to lose all your powers. Uh, you're not sure why um, why that happened or why you were left alive, uh, but uh, you are alive. And and essentially, you're at the bottom of this space, this station, this planet, this research station. The Emmy robots are there. Those are the things you see crawling around. Uh, in the trailers, they're there to, they're like um, scientific robots that are designed to like 
um, study DNA of, of native animals, I think. Uh, but they've been turned against you in some fashion. You don't know why at the beginning of the game. And essentially, you are now trying to survive. Your whole your your sole purpose, after you've suffered this physical amnesia, again, that's literally the words that your AI Adam uses to describe what happened. You're stripped of all your powers, and your goal is essentially get back to your ship. And that basically kicks off the adventure of Metroid Dread as you try to like get back to the surface. And, and while going back to the surface, you are slowly collecting all of your power-ups that are both familiar to you and not quite familiar to you. There are a couple new ones in this. Um, I think the Aeon energy was in Metroid Returns or a version of it, but um, the abilities you get in this one, like the Phantom Cloak and a couple others, I think are uh, unique to the, the Aeon stuff. Thank you for that recap, Ryan. So you can see that if it was a movie, it would be an Oscar-nominated movie for best original screenplay. Yeah. Um, it is uh, it de- really I I forget the parameters Ryan gave for summing up the story. How long? I think he said he could. No, do it, it definitely in. wasn't a couple uh, minutes. But <laughs> so, so allow me to to sum up the plot of Metroid Dread for you in one sentence. Uh, you are a space bounty hunter who ends up on a planet and is attacked by an unknown enemy. All your powers are taken away. You have to explore the planet and get back to your ship. That's essentially all you really need to know uh, to play to play Metroid Dread. Although I, I, I restarted it with my six-year-old daughter just to see if she'd find it too scary. And we... You know, they lore dump you in the intro. They throw all mm-hmm. this, like all, all of what Ryan was saying. They give you a bunch of stuff before they get into the plot. And she was just like, what are they talking about? And <laughs> and, and, and and tuned out pretty quick. Um, what I will like one thing I just want to talk about Metroid Dread about a little bit is the the fact that it exists at all. And I was thinking about this, like Nintendo, um, as I learned more about the company and, and that I, I, when I was a kid uh, on, and you know, on Nintendo and Game Boy and then Super Nintendo, they would release these games. Um, and I never had any sense of like, does this game sell well or does it perform well? You know, when Smash Brothers came out and it had eight characters in it or whatever, and they were all, you know, iconic Nintendo characters. In my mind, all of those characters are kind of even except for Mario, obviously he's the best. Um, but but like all the other ones, you know, they're the same. Little did I know that Metroid games just don't sell. Generally, don't sell. Uh, they're not. They're not high performing games for Nintendo, and because of that, they, there's long stretches of time where there are no Metroid games. Uh, and as, as we discussed, this was one of one of those times. Um, and Metroid games have for a long time due to the 2D nature of them being limited to portables. And the first Metroid I ever played was Metroid 2 on Game Boy. Um, and I finished that game on Game Boy, and it's because my my parents wouldn't let me have a home console, and I managed to twist our arm into getting a Game Boy. Um, so I played that one, and I didn't play Super Metroid till years later, and that's the one I think that most people talk about as, as being the best one, the one that hooked them and all of that. Um, but then uh, Metroid Zero Mission, the great remake of the first one metroid fusion all that came out on the game boy advance um you know the when ryan's in 2015 or 2017 whatever metroid samus returns that remake was on the nintendo 3ds 
they have been limited to portable hardware, the 2D Metroids, uh, uh, for since the Super Nintendo. Um, and uh, for me, like the reason that is, it, it makes perfect sense. They're in 2D. They require not much tech. They don't sell that well to begin with. And the hardcores are going to buy them on the platform that costs the least amount to develop on, right? But now Nintendo has merged its portable market with its uh, home console market. And this is the first game that I can really say, like, say definitively, like, oh, man, this game would – I wouldn't be playing this game on my TV right now if it wasn't for the Switch. Like, if this game was released at all, it would have been released on whatever the portable console was of the day. It's released on the Switch and charged $80 for it, Canadian because – of the switch and that $80 I find very interesting because for years now um, despite them being game of the year contenders or amazing games the shadow complexes the hollow knights the metroidvanias outside of the main uh, metroid series are never full price games they're always like 30 bucks 40 bucks 20 bucks sometimes it's as if like oh they're 2d old school style so they have to have an old school price where nintendo is like nope 80 bucks uh and uh i know it's selling and i'm happy i'm happy about that but like the whole circumstance of its existence to me what i find so fascinating is it's due to the switch yeah you're absolutely right. I think, uh, and when you look at this game, it, it's it's released alongside the OLED version of the Switch, and a lot of people are saying the best place to play this is handheld mode on the OLED Switch, and I I can see that because again, like I I played mostly docked, um, and I'll say this: most Nintendo games, especially those released in the last couple years, um, run extremely well both in docked and um, handheld mode. There are some exceptions to that. However, you look at Metroid Dread, and yes, it runs a, a solid 60 frames per second. It looks great, but it's not quite as sharp. Like there are some areas there where it just look a little, um, a little rough around the edges. There is some slowdown there uh, as the screen gets a little busy. But when you play in handheld mode, I think that's where this game really, really shines, and feels. Uh, sorry, looks great, does not feel great, because again, like other Metroid games, um, the button combinations you need to pull off to be able to use your different types of missiles and aiming modes and running and countering and all that, it works really well on a pro controller, but on those Joy-Cons can be a little cumbersome. Um, so it is kind of odd that when you say like, yes, it is, a, it is traditionally a handheld um, type game, but when you look at this game, it's kind of stuck between two worlds where it plays best on the pro controller. For sure. Uh, but looks great in handheld mode. It looks it looks great in dock mode too, but you do, you do notice that difference. It's just not quite as sharp as you would have liked. And I think that's where I think if that OLED switch was the rumored 4K switch that we would have gotten or could have gotten, um, I could totally see myself upgrading the switch to play this in, in for if, if you're already buying an $80 Metroid, you might as well be like, all right, let's upgrade the Switch at the same time. Um, easy for me to say that when there isn't a 4K Switch out there to to test that. But uh, it is it is interesting. You're right, Ryan. Like I switched from uh, um, the Xbox Series X, which I've been playing lately. You know, I was playing Sea of Thieves or what have you, and then I then I went over um, and I'm playing Metroid Dread and 
on on the full screen and you're right like it definitely looks um scaled down or it looks you know like an older looking game uh and i've just paid 80 bucks for it you know and even hollow knight and some of these other games that have a a defined art style they pop a lot more uh on the on the big tv so yeah i could see maybe the oled making a difference but you're absolutely right um it was cramp that that counter move that they introduced it's a melee counter it was introduced in the the metroid samus returns by the same developer and it was difficult to use on the 3ds much less um now they've added even more things i even find on the pro controller if i was to to nitpick this game i would say it sometimes does require some mega calisthenics with your hands to, 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 to do, to, to make things work, uh, even using the pro controller. But like, if I wasn't using the pro controller, if I was only playing this in portable mode, I don't even think I would be able to get through it. Like there's parts that are just so challenging that I think it would just be, it would be very difficult. Like if you had a, a, a switch light and are considering this game, I would just ask yourself how dexterous you are. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But like, that being said, um, when you look at this as a first-party Nintendo, and it's not even a first-party Nintendo game, it is it is made by um, another studio, uh, Mercury Stream. But I remember when uh, it was announced, Super Sam- Super Samus, <laughs> Super uh, no Metroid Samus Returns was coming out. Um, they, they were they had introduced this team, and it was Mercury Stream. They were the folks behind. Funny enough, the Castlevania. Uh, games that came out on on the 360, those two um, 3D action adventure games, um, uh, Lords of the Sh- Lords of Shadow, I believe, is what they're called. Anyways, yeah, like I think they really nail the action of uh, Metroid, but with that counter move, they added they add a new element that just makes it so much faster. Because I feel like, and this can be said for for Metroid Returns as well, in that you are they the controls are so tight that you're running around you're super speedy and you can get in the enemy's face and you're able to counter these specific moves um when you see that like flash of light when an enemy comes at you and when you counter that ability you instantly hit the y button to to fire your beam and it's an instant kill and when you do kill them with that move the enemy you get more life back and more missiles back so it is this like reoccurring gameplay loop where like you do want to use the counter move because it is replenishing your resources and i i've seen this point uh, this point elsewhere about metroid dread this feels like the first metroid game where i don't care about using my missiles like i'm going to use them constantly because they're constantly being refilled and i feel like missiles in previous metroid games were like a hot commodity yeah you didn't want to use them unless you were fighting a boss <laughs> you know so or, it's, or it's nice. yeah no de- definitely they were that missiles are are downgraded in importance and even to the sense that I'm like is my charge beam better you know like I don't even I don't even necessarily know all the all the time and uh you're right they're 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 a dime it doesn't one thing I will say is those regular enemies that that will attack you that set up like the, for a melee uh counter if you melee counter them and you you will immediately defeat them uh but if you just it seems like to force your hand, the developers make those enemies absolute bullet bullet sponges if you do not melee counter them. So like you'll you'll be shooting and shooting and you're like, oh my Jesus, this is just one regular dude. And then then you'll 
then he, it, they'll eventually go down. But if you melee counter them, boom, they'll, they'll go down right away. So they're pretty much saying like, this is the way you should be doing it, you know? So, yeah. which is, which is fair. And you're right. It's the slick movement, the slides that Samus can do. Um, the, uh, the you know the 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 speed of uh, a, a movement the animations the the beams that you get that pull you to surfaces like you in samus has never been more uh agile in in the 2d space and it is uh it is really fun in that way like it, it feels like you feel empowered however i will say like and this is the thing that you have to get past when you're playing uh a metroid game is like say if you have zelda which got redefined recently with well recently with breath of the wild breath of the wild says yes all the time to players like you want to climb a mountain you want to chop down a tree you want to ride a log down a river sure you know yes go ahead um metroid says if so if you have what you need you can do this thing so if you if you you want to go through this door okay you can if you have the right tool you want to go to this area that's up high of course you can go there if you have the double jump um and so like it, it's constantly um and because of that it, you're always aware that you're playing a video game and you joked about the physical amnesia at the beginning um the idea that that you know you get stripped of all these abilities and you have to get them back and then and everything is curated to perfect faction right like it's the, the developers like it boggles my brain to think about how they put together the map and the environment and everything be like okay so then you would get this power and then you need to use it here and it's you got to open up this here but there'll be some secrets that you can open up here here and here with it um and i i will say that because this is one of the longer metroid games i'm sort of feeling now at the point where um I, i'm like i've played enough games where you get that exploration feeling um in a more natural way. Like I think of no man's sky where you go to these planets and you go, it used to be Metroid was that game that you would go and you'd be like, I'm exploring. And don't get me wrong. I still have that sense of exploration, but as an adult playing through a heavily curated experience, I'm also like aware all the time of like, Oh yeah. Like I can't go here. Like there's no way that I am going to until I have the thing that I need to go here. Like there's no way I can circumvent this. There's no way I can change anything. There's no way I can slip through it. If I don't have what I need, the game's not going to let me go there. Yeah. And th that's the great part about, you know, there are a lot of parts that, uh, that help with that in that you can, you can set a uh, marker on your map. So for example, if you see just past uh, a beam block that has on the map question marks, cause you don't know how to, get through it you can put a marker on and be like okay i know i have to come back here later to collect this what appears to be an energy tank or some kind of uh, expansion to a to an unknown resource and and that's fine like you can come back to it i i think um i didn't mind uh in, i don't mind in metroid i actually really like when i come across the door it's like ooh, how am i going to open that okay well i'll mark it on my map and i'll come back uh what i what i Looking back, so just so everyone's aware, like I'm right up against the final boss, so I'm in in collect all the things mode. So I'm going back. I have all my powers. I'm going back to the map, and I'm slowly picking up all of the uh, expansion stuff and 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 power ups and stuff. And that's where you really get to see the 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 shining example of this map design, where you are trying to scour the whole map for for power ups and stuff. Um, but what in the moment 
caused me to get lost a lot is basically like, okay, you found the power up, you know what it can do. So let's say, for example, the charge beam, probably not a great example, because because it was pretty linear at that point, like you knew what you needed to do with it. But there are points in the game where you will unlock power ups that you know, they unlock certain things because you've seen like, oh, like, um, the grapple, uh, the grapple beam, like, okay, I've seen points that I can use this at, but where do I go now? Like the game is, is very clear in that, like, there are moments in the game where it's like, okay, you need to go here and do this thing. But it's never like, here's a waypoint, go to it. That's not the case. At the very beginning of the game, they say like, you're here, your ship's up here. That's where you need to go. That's the most clear example of like a waypoint of how you need to beat the game. But throughout the whole game, as you're finding power-ups, it's like, okay, you got the charge beam. What are you going to do with it? Where are you going to go? You probably remember seeing a couple doors that required it. And that's how the game progresses outside of a few moments where it's clearly like, okay, you need to go back here. And there are these moments in the game where you'll come across these rooms where you, um, you, you, you stick your gun into like, you know, R2-D2 style into, into like a, like a, a data port and you uploading data. And it's like Siri talking to you. And then it's like weird, creepy, um, AI Adam talking to you about your progress. And he's like, He's kind of mean about it. He's like, look, if you fight anything, you're going to die because you don't have all your powers. You're kind of weak right now. So you need to get back to your ship because I calculate your odds of surviving are like 0%. I'm like, well, buddy, you can sure go yeah, a little thanks bit. Thanks a lot, Adam. Yeah, Adam. Man, I hated you in Metroid Other M. Um, and uh, yeah, so there are all those moments where the AI will basically say like, you need to get to this other area because there's something going on there. But like, it never adds a waypoint to your map. It's kind of just like go do and in those moments where i was like okay i don't know where to go next i just go and eventually i'd find my way to another boss or another power up or something and i didn't mind that because usually what i do is i'd unlock a power up i'd go to the map i'd find a door that i couldn't access before but would be able to access now and there's this little handy feature it's called highlight icons and when you tap on that it highlights all the same doors on that local map that you can use your your that power to unlock them. So that gives you like a quick shortcut as to what you could do. But that isn't necessarily your next objective. That might just lead you to a room with a missile tank. I will I will tell you uh right now that I just discovered that that that, <laughs> that like I'm pretty far in the game to have just discovered that and I was like, "Oh, this is helpful. I should have found this earlier." Yeah, they don't um there's not a lot of uh, highlights going on in terms of what you can do. And, and that is the same, that is the case with uh, some of the power-ups too. So again, like there are some things you're going to get in this game that like the base of how it works is what you need to finish the game. But there might be a hidden sort of trick to that ability that you'll need to collect every power-up in the game. And I found that out by like, as I was cleaning up power-ups, I'm like, looking at a guy is like, okay, this is the hardest uh, missile tank uh, expansion to get um, because you need to do X, Y, Z with, with, with this power that you get later on in the game. And I'm like, I didn't even know you could do that, but now I do. And it's probably only for like three puzzles in the whole game, but it's like a, it's like a hardcore mode. You know, you don't need it to beat the game, but you'll need it to do this cool, this cool puzzle that they set up. So I, it's tough like it is it is really like this is the most hardcore nintendo franchise that's out there 
Yeah, and they didn't soften it either, eh? Like no. they didn't. It, if anything, they doubled down on it because I think a lot of folks are are feeling, and I've seen this on other podcasts and other places, people saying this is it for Metroid. Like this is the this. Everybody's got the Switch. People are buying everything for the Switch, especially Nintendo first party stuff is flying. Like this is Metroid's chance to break big, right? Like to have that multi million dollar seller, um, and. Uh, and, and and I could see the temptation to be like, let's add a um, an aim assist mode, or let's add a you know like everything to make it more accessible for newbies. But no, inst- if anything, I've seen people like raging against the difficulty of bosses and that sort of thing. Um, and while I die a lot in this game, it's also fairly generous with the autosave, meaning that. It, I die in the way that you die in a game like Super Meat Boy, where you die and then you immediately come back. And you're mm-hmm. like, I'm immediately back. And so it's never like overly frustrating. When I die to a boss, I start right outside the boss room, ready to go again very quickly, you know? Yeah. And, and here's the thing. I think um, you're absolutely right. The checkpointing is really solid. Um, where the checkpointing can hurt is, uh, again, going back to the current generation of consoles, load speeds you know immediately when you're about to fight some sort of boss or have some sort of cutscene because the screen will stay black for just a couple extra seconds as it loads in that cutscene um and that's not a problem it's 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 just something to point out but sometimes when you do die there is, there is a loading screen and you do notice it but the checkpoints are like right before the boss you just hop right back in skip the cutscene you're good to go um but you may you mentioned a point about how um you know it's it's odd that you know there is a reason that Nintendo like doesn't come back to this franchise as often as it does others or prop it up in the same sort of vein as like Zelda, Mario, that sort of thing. I think the only other franchise that Nintendo has that they still haven't been able to figure out and and they've tried maybe not as many times as they should, but uh, you got like Star Fox and then I guess right below that is F0, but when it comes to Metroid, I think Nintendo's just frustrated that it was it's been single-handedly or I guess dual handedly kept alive just thanks to this random fighting game in Smash Brothers, um, which I think thinking back was the first place that I discovered Samus was on the N64. There was no Metroid N64 game. And uh, also a, a, a series of Metroid games made by an American developer in, in the Metroid Prime series out of Texas. And I think like that probably, <laughs> you know, doesn't, I mean, I don't think it makes Nintendo angry, but it's kind of like, why can't we do Metroid anymore? And of course, all the Metroid games are developed in tandem with, you know, uh, one of Nintendo's internal Japanese studios. But still, it's like, this is this is proof that it is a franchise sometimes best delivered by, you know, outside parties that really love the franchise, like Retro and mercury stream even like luigi's mansion 3 which i loved uh, and gwen and i played the living heck out of um it was developed by like i think a canadian developer yeah you know, next level games so they're they're doing they're doing that more often and like you look at what konami's doing konami recently doing the call out to indie developers to help them do get uh, you know bring some of their their properties uh, back um you know they've just been sitting on classic iconic brands nintendo at least you you've got to you've got to give them credit they're finding ways to bring these back and metroid dread like like i feel like i may have come down i'd be coming down hard on it and i think the reason why is is partly because uh 
of the anachronistic nature of it a little bit. The idea that I'm paying $80 for a 2D Metroidvania style game that I get for $30 or $40 all the time regularly. Uh, and, and, and the Metroidvania imitators have raised the bar considerably um, to the point that like, you know, going back to the OG, uh, have they have they met that? And I would say they definitely have met it. It, it. Met it? I'm not necessarily sure surpassed it. But do I regret having spent the 80 bucks? No, uh, I do not. And I and I would encourage other people to like to, if you want a, a, a challenge, uh, a slick, well crafted game. Just you know, it, it is funny how like in the the Nintendo 64, PlayStation One era. 2D became such a dirty word. And since that time, it has been really hard for anybody to charge this amount of money for a 2D only game. Uh, and I can't think I can't think of too too many. Like they're more they're they're more the exceptions than than the rule. Everybody's talking about tons of content, tons of this, tons of that. And I would say, like, this is the biggest Metroid that has likely ever existed, I think, uh, in, in the 2D space. And, and it's like, it's just our expectations as consumers now are so, so high. And Nintendo kind of gets a little bit of a pass on that. And I want to say like, you know, like I get it. You're charging more because you're Nintendo and we'll pay it. That's why. Uh, but I will say that price aside, I've been enjoying myself. I've been enjoying the heck out of this game. It's just funny that like, you know, when we're kids, Ryan, and we're playing games, there's always games that were considered like the for older kids, like for or for adults. Like when on the Super Nintendo, Metroid was like an older game. Like it was a cool, it was a cool game to play. Just as in the PlayStation One, uh, the Final Fantasy Sevens, the JRPGs were like the older, like they're for older people, like. They're not for little kids. I'm a cool, angsty teen. I like my cloud strife, right? But then as we've become adults and we've had all this other more mature content come out, you look back at a Metroid now and it's no longer like the game for adults or the game whatever. It, it, it's, it fits neatly in Nintendo's like for everyone type thing as long as you're willing to take on a challenge. But I, I, I admit my nostalgia bone is still tickled by stuff like, you know, the, the end, you know, the entry screen to those games where you choose, like you've got like game one, game two and game three, and you can name them, you know, whatever. And it says the percentage of completion or the amount of hearts that you have. If it was a Zelda game, all super Nintendo games seem to have been like that. You know, you have like game one, game two, game three, and this, this game, also starts like that and as soon as i saw that i was like "Ooh!" it gave me the warm and fuzzies yeah yeah oh man and and again there's a lot of nostalgia in this one it's, it brings back all the, the old sounds and feelings you pick up a power up and it gives you the you know the the chime the metroid chime and and personally i love the metroid chime it's fantastic and i mean samus has has never been more of a badass here like there are moments in cutscenes where she is pulling off the, you know, does not look when she's shooting something, does not look at explosions, you know, uh, jumps and, and glides and just 
It's amazing. She she's, she's fantastic. She's much more of a badass in the cutscenes than when I'm playing her. <laughs> and like it, she'll be in a badass. She'll be like no look, blasting in a cutscene, and then it's me, and I'm like, oh oh, double jump. Oh, I got hit. Oh, I'm dead. Oh oh oh, you know. And uh, yeah, it's uh, there's just a lot to love about this game. And I mean, um, I think for me, like I I don't I don't regret buying. I, I ended up picking up the special edition, which came with a full size art book and some little postcards. I don't know what I'm gonna do with the the art cards, but the 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 art book. Uh, once I finish the game, I I can't wait to look through it because it basically includes concept art and pixel art from all the 2D Metroid games, from Metroid One all the way up to to Dread, including the remakes that they did of uh, Zero Mission and and uh, Samus Returns. So can't wait to go through that. Just you made me think of something, and mm. it's. Um, I know everybody is sort of chastising Nintendo on this, but I think it as we head into the news items, I think it is worth noting that them not making it easy to access the back catalog of Metroid games on the Switch is ridiculous and leaves so much money on the table. I know people are digging their Wii U's out of mothballs to go on the virtual console and to buy, you know, Zero Mission or Fusion or some of these these ones that, that are not accessible. It would have been so easy. Like Castlevania just showed you with the Castlevania Advance Collection. It would have been so easy to release a 2D Metro collection, a Metroid collection, like even... Uh, three months before this uh, and charge way too much as Nintendo likes to do. And we all would have paid it happily. Uh, and then, you know, this game would have come out. Everybody would have been caught up. And I know for one, like coming out of this, I've got, I'm jonesing for some Metroid. I am likely going to try to find a way to check out. I, I love zero mission. I love fusion. I'm, I'm going to be looking at ways to check those games out again, you know, and uh, Nintendo's making it so hard. Yeah, I feel like if you, you're right, we're going to get into the news. And unfortunately, that news does not at all include uh, GBA being added to the Switch Virtual Console. I would even be, I think that's the that's the biggest gap right now. I mean, in terms of the Metroid franchise, I think if you add the GBA, you've kind of got access to all the 2D Metroids now on the Switch. Uh, it's funny to think about that. Um, but if you have a Wii U, you, you do have access to them. I, I'm pretty sure Zero Missions on there, but I, I could be wrong. But uh, that is a good uh, sort of transition here. Let's uh, let's move over to the news. But before we do, I want to thank our newest patron. Thank you, Ocularis, for being our featured patron this month. If you want to support the show directly, go to patreon.com slash thegamersin. And of course, if you want to support a great cause, Extra Life is back. This is our 10th year. Believe it or not, 10 years of the Gamers In, 10 years of the Gamers In doing Extra Life. And you can donate to our team, bit.ly slash TGI Extra Life 2021. Crofton, you joined me for an event, uh, what feels like forever ago, but I think was just a couple weeks ago, or maybe last week. I think it was last week. Was it a week ago tomorrow, basically? Yeah, it was like a week ago uh, tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. So we played some uh, Marvel Avengers. We raised some money for a great charity. Um, I, I joked that uh, I joked on the show that our event dad's uh, sort of special has basically single-handedly revived Marvel Avengers. Although I did see that they released Halloween costumes for their characters that turns um, Captain America into a werewolf, and you can huh. go through the whole campaign as as Captain America werewolf. So that's that's led to some interesting cutscenes that you can see online. So there's that. 
Um, but uh, we're not here to talk about Marvel Avengers. We're here to talk about more Nintendo. This is a like Nintendo episode so far. And um, shortly after we recorded last week, Nintendo had a Animal Crossing Direct, which uh, featured details of um, the update that was coming, the final free update, as well as a final piece of DLC. I think... I've read somewhere they're saying like the DLC is the only DLC that Animal Crossing is going to get, but I imagine if it sells like hotcakes, like Nintendo will release something else. I I have no fear in that. Um, but alongside that, we got details for the pricing of the Nintendo Switch Online expansion pack, and that is related because it includes the DLC for Animal Crossing if you subscribe to the expansion pass. Um, but we'll come back to that because, Crofton, you're a huge animal crossing fan because you play with your daughter you basically put hundreds of hours into the game and i'm sure this update as you said in our in our twitter dms that uh, is basically in your calendar because uh, your daughter's all over it just to be clear i am so sick of animal crossing and before <laughs> before um the pandemic i had never played an animal crossing game in my life but my daughter who just turned seven like it just came around at the perfect time and it was like a lifesaver for us. And I think we're, we're far from the only folks. And so I, I, we put so much time in animal crossing, but it's, it's her Island, you know, cause again, like there's of the numerous Nintendo, we net picks I could make. You can only have one Island per game, version of the game per console. It's Gwen's Island. So it's a seven year old Island. So it's a complete, you know, messy disaster, uh, but uh, but it's hers, which is great. And uh, and since the beginning, she has wanted, uh, and I have thought it made sense to have cooking in the game. Like there's all these ingredients, you the or plants and different things that you can grow. You've got kitchens, you got all this sort of stuff. You even have a thing where you can eat fruit, and it and it gives you like power to dig and stuff like so they had an eating mechanic in the game yet they did not have they have a crafting mechanic they did not have food now my daughter likes to have dinner parties in animal crossing where she gets me and my wife uh into and sometimes my brother if he's here to uh to you know log into animal crossing come to her house we (laughs) recently had a halloween dinner party where she decorated the whole thing and she had games for us to play in Animal Crossing. When she saw that she can now make food and have actual food at her dinner party, oh man, she was over the moon. And that's just in the free stuff. Like all the all the update to 2.0, like all of that stuff looks great. I think longtime Animal Crossing fans will see some familiar characters coming back. And like there's a lot of little quality of life things, and like it just seemed seemed pretty good. And then that DLC, um, I mean, I think. It's 25 bucks Canadian and it's designing houses, becoming a home designer, which I think is one of the most popular parts of Animal Crossing. I'm sure that it will do super well. We just have to decide if we're going to buy it on day one, which again, my daughter has written. She's drawn on our calendar that when we have a paper calendar, she has drawn the picture of a controller, a video game controller on the calendar to indicate that is the day that this content comes out. This is the first time she's been very excited for the release of anything. So it is super cute to see. And, and, and obviously she's going to play the 2.0 stuff. One thing that I find tremendously disappointing and confusing 
is they've announced that this is the last update for Animal Crossing, like the, the, the free stuff. And it just seems to me that Animal Crossing is a huge success. Everyone has it. People are playing it all the time. And there are all these games that are constantly updated, the Fortnites and GTAs and Final Fantasy 14s. And could you not just continue adding stuff, like just seasonally have different events and different things? Like unless you have another Animal Crossing coming out next month or something, why stop updating this one? Uh, and I get that there's going to be a, this paid DLC and maybe there'll be other paid DLC, but – but, I mean, we're really excited for it, and it's going to give us a new lease on life for Animal Crossing, which she's kind of moved over to Stardew Valley and has uh, is now going back to Animal Crossing. Um, and so I am I am excited. I am excited for her, and uh, I'm excited that, um, to eventually get the designer thing. I think that she's going to get – it could be that she gets tremendous mileage out of that as well. It could be a huge time sink. Yeah. So it's interesting um, that, you know, like, why couldn't they just keep updating? I mean, it comes down to the examples you use. Those updates fuel the economy of the game. You know, those updates provide more items in the shop, uh, longer subscription runs, that sort of thing, more battle pass purchases. I think where Animal Crossing doesn't have that sort of monetary, it's a buy and play, you know, a single game. And I think this first piece of DLC kind of shows what Nintendo is saying, okay, like we know there are 30 million copies of this out in the wild. Um, we've done, you know, um, a year and three quarters of free updates. And I'm sure there will still be like patches and stuff as they go, but they won't be like substantial content updates. Uh, but but maybe we do get DLC, you know, going forward. And I, and I think the free updates have kind of filled out what was missing from previous games, like the coffee shop and the gyroids and stuff. Um, and also added quality of life. But this DLC offering, which is, um, I think it's called uh, Happy Home Paradise, is basically a a reintroduction of a separate game that came out on 3DS, which was Happy Home Designer. Um, and there is a little bit of that in the the Switch Animal Crossing and sort of like the, the home decor thing, judging thing that happened every Sunday or whatever. But... I think that if you look at what Nintendo's doing, and this all comes out November 5th, both the, the, the free update and the DLC, if you look at what they're doing with their Nintendo Switch Online expansion pack, um, which we'll get right off the bat here in that it is uh, it is quite expensive. So you mentioned that the DLC for Animal Crossing is, is $24.99 Canadian. Um, the Nintendo Switch Online jumps to $50 US with the expansion pack, that is uh, an increase from $20 US. So Canadian, it's $65 a year for Nintendo Switch Online plus expansion pack, which includes the N64 games, the Genesis games, which will evolve over time. That catalog will increase, um, but also includes the DLC for Animal Crossing. Um, so if you knew you were going to play Animal Crossing for a year and you didn't want to just buy the DLC, you wanted to try it out through this this subscription, I know for you, Crofton, it doesn't make sense to use this subscription because you've been playing it nonstop for the last two years. Um, but I don't even have a base subscription. You don't even so have the Nintendo Switch Online, eh? No, because, like, why would I have that? Like, what does it do for me? You know, like, it, it, it gives you the old games. It gives you it gives me the old game. Yeah. Yeah. Done. But like 
I but I have Game Pass. I have tons of games. You know, like I like yeah, it gives me the old games. I have an SNES Classic. I've got old games on that. You know, like it's just for for me the the value of a monthly subscription it has to be more than just give giving me the old games that will go away if I don't renew the subscription. I absolutely hate the whole business model of it, right? Like it I would much rather if it's going to exist, then at least let me buy them one by one on the virtual console. I am definitely buying the DLC for Animal Crossing. Um, if the the subscription said like you know if you get it on the if you if you're an early adopter, we'll give you the DLC as well. But that's not what they're doing. They're saying you can have the DLC for the length that your subscription is active, and that sucks because I tell you, my daughter could be playing that on and off forever who knows you know so i i don't want to i don't want to uh to do that so i'm for sure gonna just buy it straight up um and just before like because like getting into the monetization of this and this is it i think people are like shell-shocked by the sticker price if they were replacing the base model like in saying you can't get the cheap model that lets you play online smash or whatever all the the other stuff without getting the super super model I think people would be really frustrated. Um, they're trying to make it seem like by any, adding the Animal Crossing thing, they're trying to do a little smoke and mirrors thing like, oh, it's not so expensive. But I think we all recognize it's super expensive. And this is the struggle with being a Nintendo fan. It's like they're, they're, they make everything so expensive. And they, do, they manage their finances in odd, odd ways. And just going back to my point about Animal Crossing and stopping to do free content, like – like Sony launched Sony Home back in like the PS3 era and 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 everybody has been trying to do things kind of like that where they have a platform that they can promote other things. Right now, ironically for Nintendo, that's Smash Brothers. Like when I started Smash Brothers, it was like, hey, uh, get the Nintendo Dread Spirit Pack or whatever. But which is fine, but Animal Crossing could be that for them. They could have like Metroid Dreads out this week. Get there's Metroid Dread items in the in the Tom Nook store or whatever, and like you know they could do that for all their major releases and cross promote. And they don't do other other companies would do it like this. Instead, what they do is they lock major price tags in sort of consumer unfriendly ways, you know, including this this uh, this upgrade pack. And I loved playing the Nintendo 64 at the time. It was a hugely impactful console for me. I played it in college, tons of GoldenEye. I've played 64 games recently. They do not hold up. They do not. And uh, There are I, a single few that do, and it's not I, as many as you think. It is not as many as you think. We played Ocarina of Time, which many people would say is one that would hold up. But it's with the, the Nintendo 64 controller the joystick goes in eight directions. Like it, we're not used to that anymore. It feels so weird. Like so much of it feels so weird. And there are better versions of a lot of the 64 games. Like I loved GoldenEye and Perfect Dark. There's like, I have a Perfect Dark on Xbox Live Arcade in HD. I mean, uh, the rare replay packs that, you know, you, you, you name it. So it's just the 64 value is less enticing to me than the Genesis value. And if I really cared about Genesis games, I would buy like one of those Genesis classics. Um, you know, like I, uh, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be like, uh, so I, I was, I guess to say um, the animal crossing stuff, I'm all super excited for the, the expansion pack stuff I thought was really kind of like, ugh. 
you know, and I could see them, Nintendo rarely does, but I could see them making a change, especially as the, um, as the uh, thing gets less, uh, the, the novelty of the Animal Crossing expansion plaque wears off. Because, like, if they look at their subscriptions in February, say, months after the, the Animal Crossing's impact is gone, you know, they might be like, okay, like, you know, we're not getting enough new people. We need to do something here. I don't know, but, like, I, 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 could, I could see it. Yeah. Well, I think it's important to note, like the idea behind there's a reason they held the price back until this in this Animal Crossing Direct, because I think the sole addition of N64 games and Sega Genesis games to this expansion pack isn't enough to, in my mind, to warrant like you want me to basically double the subscription cost. Um, And I'm just I'm just playing devil's advocate here but let's be honest i'm a huge nintendo fan and i i will i will give this a chance for a year i want to see where this subscription goes because the inclusion of this dlc for animal crossing shows that nintendo you can look at it two ways they're either trying to sweeten the pond as you said to make it seem like the the value is there especially at launch because i think they realize like okay we can't just offer eight genesis games and six n64 games and some really expensive wireless controllers to encourage people to subscribe to this 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 expansion pack. There's no need for it. The base gives you exactly what you need, which is playing online games and having save cloud backups. Um, but if you look at this expansion pack and you add DLC, if you want to look at it in a more positive light, and there's no evidence to this outside of them, including this Animal Crossing DLC, maybe they do add more to this expansion back. But again, there's that really strong maybe in there. We have no, no idea. No, I know. There's zero transparency. It was the same when Super Nintendo was added to the S- uh, w- with the NES, the base model. And then it was like every month, sometimes there would be an NES game, sometimes an SNES. There was never ever any rhyme or reason. You didn't know. And now I wonder with this new Ultra Pack, like, are they just going to stop doing SNES or NES games or are they going to be much less often? Who knows? I will say, Ryan, if your vision of more DLC, like if the idea of being like, we need to sweeten the pot, let's let's do more DLC. I never thought like 10 years ago, I never thought Crofton would be saying, Hey, Nintendo, I'd like you to do more DLC. Uh, but, but like, honestly, I, I totally do. I think a lot of their games like Mario Odyssey, um, it go to different worlds. There's tons of moons. They're all like, you could, you could have, you could release two more worlds. I would pay for them. Right. Like, but then make it Hey, if you have the, uh, super pass then you just get those worlds right like for as long as that you have have them or or you know uh, luigi's mansion there's a couple more floors to the mansion or or for yeah. um you know any of those games like animal crossings dlc is, is is another one uh i just think that like it would it would be a sweetener like if that continues if they say like oh yeah you get animal crossing and then also you get x and you get y but right now it seems very odd like it's like yeah you get uh Nintendo 64, one of the least popular consoles for Nintendo. Uh, you get Super Sega Genesis, and you get uh, some random games DLC. You know, like it just it it doesn't seem like it's very well thought out. Yeah, and I mean, taking a wait and see approach, I think that's totally fine. Because I mean, they will add more N64 games, they will add more Sega Genesis games. They have established that. Um, where it's a little unknown is like, 
is is the Animal Crossing DLC a one-off to just make it more viable at launch? Or is it a sign of things to come? I know a lot of people, I've seen some chatter online, like, wouldn't it be great if, like, the next thing they did was, like, throw in, um, you know, uh, DLC for, like, uh, for Mario Kart 8, you know, and throw another expansion out for that game. And again, like, not only does it get people to revisit, like, games that launched with the system that are still solid, but it also gives longtime supporters uh, a reason to, uh, to subscribe. So obviously we're just we're just spitballing here we have no idea and um knowing nintendo it's probably just going to be more n64 and genesis games and there will be no other dlc i i sorry to rip the carpet from under you guys on that one but like let's be honest it's nintendo that's likely what's happening here speaking of mario kart one thing i thought was really funny was i was looking at the best sellers on the uh, nintendo uh online shop and like metroid dread was number one obviously it had just been released but number four was mario kart 8 and i was just like who the hell does not have <laughs> mario kart 8 yet it's like when gta 5 is always number one on these charts i'm like i just don't understand like who is buying this game you know but anyway good for it that's uh and you know that that is another option for nintendo to look at that top selling is like okay what needs some love and i don't know there's a lot of options here but again like i think with nintendo you got to look at at the at just their their past performance and really like their they've this is their first subscription and honestly it's been yeah it's it's been a nintendo thing let's just say that but like let's shift gears let's talk about uh the the sony news not video game but video game adjacent we got the first trailer for the uncharted movie featuring uh spider-man and marky mark and uh so croft and i we 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 talked a little bit pre-show when we thought how are we going to cover this and i think we both came to the same realization in that and this is by no means tom holland's fault but i just it's so hard to see tom holland play another role outside of spider-man and and they're they're trying so hard to make him nathan drake and he's got the look down in terms of the clothes he's wearing but all i see when i when i see him talking on screen is like why is (laughs) spider-man what is happening here what's peter parker doing it's just it's jarring and i i'm a little worried about the film but on the other hand, I really like Uncharted and a younger Nathan Drake running around with Sully. And I think that I saw Chloe in there as well. I'm, I'm kind of excited by that prospect. But what are your thoughts? You know, like, I, I agree with the ty- – poor, poor Tom Holland. I, I agree with the typecasting. I half expected him to turn around and be like, what do I do, Mr. Stark? Uh, but uh, <laughs> What do I do, Mr. Sully? What do I do? <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it, it definitely and, – and, you know – being a baby face, like he's an ad, he's an adult who yeah. looks like a child, and that's benefited him in, in the casting for Spider Man and Peter Parker and continuing to play that role. Unfortunately, it hasn't super benefited him otherwise, and this is one of those situations. And not to, not to remain unscathed as well is Sully, uh, played by uh, Mark Wahlberg, uh, as he plays all his characters, um, and. It just like this is where this is where I find myself um, conflicted. There's the purest in me that is like, oh my god, these guys do not look like the characters in the game, and I am very upset about that. But but the thing is, is that games now in the olden days when like they made a video game, a movie of Super Mario Brothers, Super Mario was just a 
five pixels and they were trying to turn him into a person on screen. Uh, Sully and Nate are characters that we've got to know in like very well done video games with, especially in Uncharted 4's case, really cutting edge graphics. Like I replayed it recently and it looks amazing. Um, and so we have a vision for what these characters look like. It's, it's more akin to like the remake of a movie, you know, like it's like you see, Oh, you, they're remaking star Wars and they recast all the actors and you're like, Oh, like, but it doesn't erase the original star Wars and it doesn't erase the original uncharted games. Um, and so for me, um, I find myself cautiously optimistic because I love movies like this, like, the Indiana Jones movies, the na national, even the cheesy national treasures with uh, Nicolas Cage. And as much as I love superhero movies, we're oversaturated with them. I kind of miss the old fashioned blockbusters uh, that are just like, you know, like crazy town guy going out of an airplane. Like, I mean, it, when I, when I watched it, I was like, yeah, I would watch the hell out of this movie. It looks like, it looks like a lot of fun. Um, that said, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's not your father's uncharted, right? Like it's, it's kind of like a different thing. And I mean, if anything, the only thing that really bothered me was when they were kind of really trying to make it like uncharted, because it, I'm not sure if you felt this Ryan, but uh, that, that trailer looked like a, a, a hot mixtape of scenes from like every uncharted game, hmm. you know, like, and like each uncharted game has a very well thought out and put together story and plot searching for a different treasure. But there is like all sorts of references of Nate's brother, Sam, who was only in uncharted four. And then like, they were searching for this Avery's treasure. And then they had have a shot of, Nate coming out of the water, looking at this pirate ship in a cave that looks like it's pulled from Uncharted 4. But then you have other scenes that are like, like he's meeting, he's meeting Chloe or he's falling out of the airplane. That's a, a complete beat for beat redo of the scene from Uncharted 3. So there, there is, my worry is that they're going to slavishly recreate some of those scenes, but they're not going to do a good job on the overall plot. But I still, still that said, I am excited to see it. Yeah, I'm excited to see it too. I think like my biggest cringe moment was when I liked the whole plane redo where he's like, he's he's holding on to like part of the cargo as he's like racing up uh, back into the plane. But I didn't like his reaction to the car hitting him. I thought that was a bit over the top and... And I'll, it would have worked. It worked in a video game. It worked when Nolan North was doing it, but I don't know if it works in a movie. Well, Nolan North always like uh, great. Drake always says crap, crap, crap. Yeah, you know, like all, all of that. So that that was clearly. I just uh, don't buy it. I guess I don't buy it yeah. under Tom Holland. I don't know. Yeah. Well, it could be, and I definitely, you know that. Um, where Sully's at the bar and, and and Nate is upstairs and it's clearly the auction scene from Uncharted Four. <laughs> yeah. Um, and. Uh, and like he's, he, they're talking, and he's got his hand to his ear, and so uh, you know, so he's like, "Don't put your, you look like an idiot or whatever." It, it to me, it was essentially Robert Downey Jr. telling Peter Parker not to do like that. That was a hundred percent. I'm like, oh, I'm in the, you know, it's the same r rapport because the thing with Sully and Nate's relationship, at least as we get it in the in the games aside from flashback sequences it's established pretty you know heavily on that it's a mutual res 
mutual respect. And like, you know, Sully's not like, uh, like he calls him kid, but he's not like talking down to him. He's not like, if ever he gives him advice, it's at an, at, at an adult level, you know, where it felt like from the trailer, at least that Sully's coming across as like this confident, smooth guy. And Nate's like, Oh, what do I do there? Uncle Sully, you know? And, um, and that to me is, is like Nate, if anything was the guy in all the games, just like the guy, he's the super confident, ultra, like smart, ultra athletic, whatever guy. And Sully's kind of like, you know, the hanger on to a certain extent, like, don't get me wrong. I love Sully, but it, it feels like, they're like, oh, we got Mark Wahlberg. He's gonna Wahlberg this shit up, you know. I didn't. I didn't mind Mark Wahlberg as like you gotta have to remove the Sully character from the games because he is, he's 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 much older, much much wiser. But I get the sense that like in in this specific instance, you've you've de-aged both characters from the video games, and you kind of have to accept that. Yeah, Sully was originally like a like a like a Nathan Drake of his time, you know, looking for treasure and stuff. But like, I think Mark Wahlberg does okay in the role. Like, um, the, the shots they show, like it, it works. Uh, but I don't know. Like, I think I'm looking forward to seeing it. I'm a huge fan of uncharted. I'm not like racing out to see it in theaters. I think it comes out in February. Um, but I'll watch it. I'm sure the reviews are going to be, if I had to make a prediction, I'm sure they'll be middling. Like, I don't think it's going to be a movie that blows people out of the water. I think this is going to be one of those video game movies that, that continues the trend of being a video game movie. It's going to be like Tomb Raider. Yeah, like Tomb Raider. I, I think Mortal Kombat uh, had a similar vibe. Like, it was it was a better crafted film, but still suffered from being, connect, being connected to the video game. Um, I'm just trying to think of, like... Like what's another video game movie that I think is on the uh, on the horizon that could break that mold and and really like I'm struggling. The, well, The Last of Us is currently in development as True. a television show, right? And and that is um you know uh, the two big premier Naughty Dog uh, properties, uh, the Uncharted and The Last of Us. I think they're exactly where they should be. Uncharted is a big blowout popcorn flick and uh the the last of us is a more like walking dead style week to week uh you know episodic show i think that makes sense um i think that they they've given the the, the heartbreaker with uncharted is just that the the uh, naughty dog always valued these characters and the and really defined them and the the end uh, the epilogue of Uncharted 4, uh, where you're kind of saying farewell to them, uh, always gets me a bit misty-eyed because they have been so well brought to life. Uh, and unlike other video game movies where the characters, even Laura Croft in the Tomb Raider games, has never really felt like someone I'd want to hang out with in real life. Uncharted has always had that. And to me, it's just um, a lot... Uh, you know, it's an intellectual property that I think could be done very, very well. And I think that this will be middling, uh, although I expect the action sequences will be crazy good. Uh, and also, like, I love Antonio Banderas. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when he came up, into, I didn't know he was in this. When he was in as no, a villain, I didn't know I'm like, I'm like, oh, perfect. That's amazing. But like, again, what I liked about it was that it made it different for me from, from the other things that i'd experienced like 
and, and you know, Uncharted has never been like majorly about the villains and stuff. So bring in someone fun and have a good time with it and make it different. And who knows? Who knows? I, I mean, I see some comment sections just raging on this film, and I honestly cannot bring myself to do that. I feel like I want more of this type of movie, this fun action adventure style, matinee idol type style. So it just so happens this one's based on one of my fave video games. Uh, yeah. And that's those are the two elements I'm trying to balance. And, and here's the thing. If, if uh, we can go on multiple podcasts and not get super upset about uh, Chris Pratt being the voice of Mario, I think we can have a solid, constructive conversation about this Uncharted film. So I think we did a good job. And uh, we'll certainly get uh, Jocelyn's take next week because uh, I, th- I think it's it's worth talking about. This is a this is a, a big... Sony's been trying to make this movie for quite a while. We finally got our first look. And, like, it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. I think it looks fine. And there, look at... There are a lot of bad movies that come out, and by no means am I looking at this trailer and and lumping this movie in with a lot of the other terrible movies that people uh, seem to love. So, um, but I'm no film critic. I'm hardly a video game critic. So, let's uh, <laughs> let's talk about uh, one last news story here that you inserted as our lovely guest co-host. Uh, Resident Evil Four has come to the Oculus Quest Two and is reviewing well. Crofton. Do you want to purchase Resident Evil 4 again? I do, Ryan. And honestly, like had the stars aligned, uh, it just came out. Had the stars aligned, I may have already purchased it before guesting on this show. And then I would be able to share my impressions, although it has been a loaded week and a loaded episode already. But I I will say, um, you know, Resident Evil 4, possibly the game I've purchased the most times in my life. Ironically, or maybe ironically, uh, is my favorite version of Resident Evil 4 is the Wii version. Um, and uh, the Wii's motion controls get uh, you know a lot of shit on, rightly so, for a lot of games. But um, for the Resident Evil 4 Wii edition, it really, like, the, the pointing uh, and shooting was really satisfying to do and just made the game really fun to play through. Um, and now this... this VR edition is a completely done for VR. It's not, it's not just like some sort of mod or anything. It's like they've re really redone it. Like you have to reload your gun. You have to like a lot, you've got to pull your herbs out of your pack and eat them or well, not eat them for real, but you get the gist. So I, I, I do think like if there was anything that would get me to maybe do another run O resident evil four, this might be it. But as is the thing with VR games and you, you know, this as well as me, I mean, it is tough to commit to like, like a resident evil game four is a long game, you know, fairly long game to do all of that in VR. Like I could see myself buying it, doing the village at the beginning being like oh this is fun oh maybe i'll just play it on my xbox and then stop you know who knows yeah and uh to have the show come full circle the resident evil 4 for oculus quest 2 developed by armature games which is filled with past retro studios and metroid prime developers so there you go we've come full circle what you're saying is next Oculus game will be Metroid Prime VR? Good. Breaking news from Ryan Murphy. Thank mm, you. I, I'm looking forward to it. That was a stretch. But uh, with that stretch, I want to thank Crofton for being 
on the show, guest hosting, uh, once again on the Gamers Inn. Crofton, thank you so much. Um, do you want to let our listeners know? I mean, I know like you took the first five seconds of the show to to mention and, and name drop Dungeons and Diapers, our podcast that we do together, tgistudios.com slash dad. But is there any other stuff you want to highlight? People think this chemistry just came out of the blue. No, no, we've nurtured it over years of doing Dungeons and Diapers together. And I know like some of your gamers in folks might be thinking, well, I don't have a child. Why would I listen to a show that has diapers in the title? And that, my friend, is fair. However, I would say we have uh, great chats about all the great stuff that we got going on. And that that does include video games. It includes board games. It includes uh, movies, uh, TV shows, all of that all of that great stuff. So I would uh, I would strongly urge folks to go uh, to tgistudios.com slash dad, catch up on the latest, or, you know, follow us uh, on the Twitter. Uh, you can follow me at Crofton Steers. Good stuff. Thank you so much uh, again for being on the show. If you want to find more Gamers In content, you go to gamersinpodcast.com. As Crofton said, you can follow us on Twitter. We're all on Twitter. You can find Crofton at Crofton Steers. You can find Jocelyn at Joss Plays, myself at R. Murphy. And don't forget to follow the show at The Gamers In. I want to thank everybody for sticking around, talking about Metroid, talking about Uncharted, talking about uh, Nintendo and all that fun stuff. Have a great week, and we'll chat soon. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody.